This is a recording of the great American singer Marian Anderson performing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in 1939. In the newsreel footage behind her is a sculpture of the seated Lincoln by Daniel Chester French. The Lincoln Memorial and French's sculpture turn 101 years old this year. It opened to the public on May 30th, 1922. Anderson's performance is just one of many ways in which the Lincoln Memorial and public sculpture in the United States have been places of civic memory. This summer, The Jewel is host to Monuments and Myths, the America of Augustus St. Gaudens and Daniel Chester French, an exhibition comparing the work of two important American artists, but also two artists who impacted our civic landscape our sense of public sculpture and American history profoundly. To prepare for the exhibition, my colleague Randy Evans worked with four faculty members at Auburn. Today, we share some excerpts from a roundtable conversation Randy conducted with those faculty members, thinking about their assignments and what monuments mean for students today. You know, when I think about monuments, and, I, and I'm... I'm I'm actually curious about how my students reacted or are thinking about monuments because I, I often think about monuments as kind of like milestones of like our public narrative or the narrative like that we tell ourselves. It's, you know, the the monuments you find are also going to be like the names that you find in our textbooks. Like there's not going to be much, you know, you're not going to go to a monument and maybe learn something new or, or it's going to be like super localized if it's if it's there. And what I wonder is like with my students, we spend a lot of time talking about like going beyond what's in the textbook, like diving into like, the primary sources, like how do you structure that? How do you get students to think about things? How do you then get them to like inquire about the world around around them? And I'm wondering, as we think about like the role that monuments play, like, you know, they don't, as we kind of talked about, um, they're displaying violence or they're displaying like something that happened. They don't often talk about um, like inquiries or like what could happen or what could have happened. My name is Randy Evans, and I'm the manager of public practice and community partnerships here at The Jewel. The voice you heard is that of Jesus Torado, one of four Auburn faculty members that I worked with this spring in relationship to the exhibition Monuments and Myths, the America of Sculptors Augustus St. Gaudens and Daniel Chester French. This exhibition highlights the work of St. Gaudens and French, preeminent sculptors of the Gilded Age, and brings to the forefront questions of craftsmanship, historic memory, and the role of art in public and civic life. And, as Jesus points out, the histories and stories we tell ourselves. The exhibition attempts to both celebrate the artistry of St. Gaudens and French's work, while also highlighting issues of race, gender, and labor, public grief and mourning, and the dominance and inheritance of Eurocentric values and aesthetics. To tackle these issues, we wanted to use a multidisciplinary approach and highlight the voices and perspectives of students here at Auburn. To do this, I worked with four different faculty across the College of Liberal Arts to develop research-focused projects that would help visitors contextualize the exhibition in this moment and as it relates to Alabama specifically. What you will hear is excerpts from a larger conversation with these faculty members that touch upon their specific class projects how students approach the themes and content of the exhibition, and the role higher education should play in the larger debates on monuments, particularly in the South. I think a lot of times when we 
focus on monuments and especially all these bad monuments um, is there's so much on origins, right? And um, both in my work when I've written a little bit about this and especially in teaching this stuff, like I, I'm really interested in actually, yeah, how we go about thinking about that experience of monumentality, right? And like, I think we can gesture toward and assume in a lot of ways, like how people react to these both in the past and in the present, like within in space. But um, that was the thing I think that I kept pushing and my students kept also sort of, you know, prodding at as well, right? Are, yeah, what these monuments make people feel like as they interact with them. And I think that's both for this exhibit and any other time I teach about um, monuments, I guess that's one thing I want them to get out of it, right? Because so often we come into it, if you're, like, if you're opposed to monuments, like say a lost cause monument, you're often because thinking about the moment that it was um, put up and all the sort of white supremacist ideology that gets tied to it, but then we don't think about the sort of accretion of meaning, right, that, that goes on it after generation after generation. People are still sort of feeling that. And so, yeah, I, I hope that, and, and maybe people come at the exhibit just feeling too, right, that these are like living things, right, that we are interacting with and still have that sort of meaning being put onto them, Yeah. You just heard from Elijah Gaddis, Associate Professor of History, whose museum practicum class developed short, critical essays on monuments across Alabama. Our third collaborator, Kristen Tordella-Williams, Associate Professor of Art, led her sculpture students through a project where students researched, proposed, and built maquettes of future monuments that fill in historical gaps and celebrate marginalized communities and spaces. It might seem obvious that we would want artists to be a part of this project, but what was interesting to me was how the students approached the project through the use of different mediums and a new historical perspective. I think I just wanted my students to be aware of how monuments can really influence um, public narrative and community and to just be conscious of that when they were um, proposing creating one, you know. My assignment, I think, is really cool, though. I love this assignment. Um, it's to create a to-scale model of a proposed public monument and, um, and an accompanying proposal for the actual monument. So the to-scale model is just a physical representation, kind of like a three-dimensional drawing in space. It should look as close as possible to the proposed monument, but scaled down. And then in the written proposal, they have to um, write about the concept, how it connects to their site, the forms and the materials, and um, do a mock budget, which was surprisingly challenging for them, even though I shared an Excel worksheet um, and was very much on hand to talk about materials and budget. Uh, the other, I'm trying to think, I feel like there's other moments. Yes, yeah, it's, it's partly to imagine what goes into producing a large scale monumental size sculpture. Um, it's really good professional practice for them. It's also to get them um, confident and say, like, your ideas are totally valid and really interesting. I'm loving all of the different ideas that they're starting to develop. They're closing in on it. It's due next week. They're, they're producing their maquettes and their proposals. Um, and it's a wide range. So I'm not telling them you have to make a monument for this person. They're choosing a person, place, or thing to uh, memorialize um, or celebrate. So it's it's been really fun. I've done this project a few times. Um, the having them present this alongside the exhibition is a really wonderful opportunity. 
Yeah, so the project for my students, um, what we really wanted to do was think about how they can come into this exhibit which really engages with, um, with monuments, with the memorial landscape more broadly, um, and then think about how they could sort of help visitors continue this conversation outside of, uh, outside of the exhibition. And so I gave them a really broad um, kind of remit, which was to think about monuments in Alabama, monuments and memorial landscapes. So I'm, I'm a, a scholar of sort of post-emancipation, um, you know, material culture and landscape. And like, I live in the world of thinking about lost cause, white supremacist monuments all the time. And I just expected that every single student would do that. Um, and plenty of them did, right? But others of them found different things. Um, and found different sort of monuments that were being built and sort of different conversations that were being had around them. And I guess to me, the, the significance there was just that I think they were resonating with some of the themes in this exhibition and really that, that is kind of pushing against, you know, what, what these kind of objects can be and what they can do. And I think they were, you know, trying to get at a new set of questions and conversations maybe than the ones that it feels like we always, especially for those of us that are historians, that we are always, always, always having. Our assignment um, for our class was, it was also about monuments. It was also just about getting the, my students to think about what it means to like interact in spaces and like make those spaces into learning opportunities. So, um, they were tasked with creating a small scaffold um, that anyone could kind of pick up and walk through the exhibit and and move through, but also recognize that that scaffold could also be picked up and then applied to like any space that they could walk into or any memorial space that was memorializing something. And I think what was surprising for me in that was they very much led with that and they were very much thinking about um, going into space and, and what it meant to be in like in different spaces as they were going through that and trying to balance between um, kind of overstructuring and understructuring questions to kind of give people and their students um, or anyone who would pick this up the chance to, to do those thinkings and, and interactions on their own. Um, and I was even more shocked by the fact that some of them were super grounded in their own interactions with seeing the monuments and thinking about them. It wasn't just a... Like, oh, what's this monument? Tell me what it's about. But then there were questions like, tell me how you feel being here. What are you going through specifically in this space? And I was really shocked by the way that they were grounding that um, and really centering the human experience of being in a monument and being in a, in a monumentized space, um, which I think was super awesome to see them go through and see them think on that level. Um, and even think about ways of like helping their students and other students think about what it means to be thinking about those levels as well as they're going through and thinking about certain things. And some students were more primed for that than others just by virtue of the spaces they grew up and they were able to have those conversations as well. And I think that made for a really good and diverse class discussion. So that was our assignment. Our fourth collaborator is Rose McClarney, Associate Professor in English whose Poetry 2 class considered both the work present in the exhibition, but also monuments close to Auburn, such as the Lee County Confederate Monument in Opelika and the Auburn Lady here on campus. Uh, Yeah, I think that my students um, were very aware of 
controversy and current issues surrounding certain monuments. Um, but they, just by the nature of some of the things that were available from the checklist, you know, not not everybody was going to write about a monument that had directly connected to you know, the Civil War. Um, so it was still interesting to see how they came up with these sort of, yeah, there were collective causes. So even if people were writing about, in, like in the voice of, of a statue of a woman who simply uh, didn't want to be gazed at anymore, which um, two students did more or less, that was still, so that wasn't just a personal sort of narrative they were bringing at it. It was a, a larger, I guess, feminist stance in that case. Um, so that was interesting to see. And then also I thought that even students who were writing about um, personal narratives were often talking about how the monuments made them feel looking at the pictures. Um, and that was revealing to me that maybe even before we were having a lot of public discourse about what these monuments in public spaces are you know, doing to people, that we were aware of it at some level. In some ways, monuments, in terms of their relationship to the landscape, are about a kind of foreclosure of other narratives and experiences, right? I mean, they're they're literally monumental, and they're meant to kind of dominate. Um, but I think one of the things we miss when we talk about these in a Southern context, um, in particular, are all the people that have refused that kind of monumentality, right? Um, and refused to, you know, let these these um, these statues stand or refuse to let them, um, you know, continue to, to dominate uh, the landscape and sort of traumatize them and that, that kind of thing. So I think it's, I mean, it's a broader question about how we talk about the South in general, right, which is... Um, we so often talk about the South, partially rightly, right, by thinking about sort of um, um, what friend, what a friend of mine calls bad white people history, right? Like thinking about all the sort of terrible racist, all the white supremacist, right? Which, um, you know, it's not a secret that it's it's not just the South that's built on those things, right? It's the rest of the country too. Um, but when we do that, I think we tend to forget, again, about all the other artists, all the other sort of everyday individuals, particularly in my case of what I research, right? All the other uh, African-American folks who are either creating or pushing against or otherwise just sort of living and being in these, in these sort of in and around these monumental spaces. Um, and so, I don't know, that, that, that is rambly, but, but I, I really want that to be a part of that conversation too. I want to piggyback off of what Elijah is saying in terms of this idea of monuments as a site of resistance. So we saw this happen there. They're, they're playing a really important role in our culture right now as, as, being a site of resistance that's not a physical person, but is a representation of an ideology. And so when there are groups of activists who spray paint the Robert E. Lee statue in Richmond and uh, take photos of doing art in response to this, that to me is really powerful. And it's powerful for a reason. It's saying that we're taking ownership over this narrative. Now we're inserting ourselves in that narrative. And when you look up the Robert E. Lee sculpture, um, that monument, that doesn't exist anymore on site. But when you look up photos of it, 
the photos that appear aren't just the perfect pristine white marble plinth and the sculpture. It's of all of the responses to that ideology. So I think it's really, really important um, to really think critically about these monuments and like where they go. Like the one in Birmingham I saw in that article is just is like somewhere just got disappeared. It's like that almost to me is worse than having it be present and having it be a site of response. That's not another physical human body, because I think we have a lot of problems um, right now with wounding each other physically. My thanks to Randy Evans for leading this project and working with our faculty collaborators. Visit the museum to see the exhibition Monuments and Myths this summer and visit our website, jcsm.auburn.edu.